0: and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know Help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. I want to thank you for taking some time to be here today. And I want to remind you that if you are just listening to this podcast, great, right? Free, high yield, which is funny because that's what we're covering today some high yield stuff, but high yield MCAT prep for you that you can listen to while you're in the car, while you're working out, walking your dog, wherever you may be. The MCAT is just one part of the medical school application journey and making yourself a competitive applicant. If you are not listening to the pre-med years to learn about other ways to make yourself competitive, whether that's with your clinical experience, shadowing, how to find shadowing, how to write your personal statement, how to ask for letters of recommendations, and more. If you're not listening to those podcasts, which we have well over 340 at this point, episodes. Go check those out at premedyears.com. This week, we have some more high-yield stuff for you today. So let's go and jump in and say hello to Clara. Clara, welcome back to some more MCAT podcasts. How are you doing today? I am
1: great. How are you?
0: I'm excited to talk about some more high-yield topics. I know something that students love to hear because they think they're getting the most bang for the buck, which it's true, they are. And this topic in particular is going to be a fun one. I think lab scares students. Uh, the we we go to lab and we um we we go and we mix things together and we look at the colors of what's burning and we follow the lab book and we don't really. I think lab is one that we don't really learn about. We just kind of follow directions, and so when we see stuff on on the MCAT. It's like, well, I didn't really learn anything in lab. How (laughs) how am I supposed to answer these questions? So hopefully we'll have some good high yield stuff here for lab techniques.
1: Totally. And yeah, and you know, that's so true. I swear I didn't learn anything um, in any lab that I took in college. (laughs) I just followed the steps uh, and didn't know the why. And then you get to the MCAT and they, they really like asking about the why. So
0: And I'm sure you never did what I potentially maybe did was, hey, hey, like person who had the lab right before me, like what what color is supposed to burn from the (laughs) uh, from this secret reagent? So
1: cannot confirm or deny
0: (laughs) doing that. So what what are the biggest kind of uh, before we jump into some of the questions here? What are some of the biggest things that students need to be aware of for the MCATs with lab technique questions?
1: Totally. Um, so lab techniques is a kind of a funny one because we don't really anticipate a lot of questions about these techniques. But the thing is that, so organic chem is the least tested subject on the MCAT, right? So it's like some tiny percent of all MCAT questions. But the thing about lab techniques is that they often involve things like bio- biochemical molecules, for example, or physiologically relevant molecules. So you can actually end up with a lot more organic chem questions than you expect because they might be like asking them in like a biochem sense. So for lab techniques, I would say they really are these same lab techniques that you've learned um, in school, like distillation, um, you know, all the different separations, like thin layer chromatography. Uh, but be be prepared for there to be some sort of physiological connection or some sort of biochemical connection.
0: All right. Okay. So with that said, if you want to follow along with our questions today, you can at the slash 154 for episode 154. All right. Question 21, I'll start with here. Which solvent would be most suitable for the recrystallization of acetylsalicylic acid. Is that the right word? Salicyclic.
1: Acetylsalicyclic acid.
0: Yeah. Acetylsalicyclic acid, (laughs) aspirin, uh, immediately after its synthesis. Note that the known melting point for acetylsalicyclic acid is 136 degrees Celsius, and the sample collected is displaying a melting point of 135.9 degrees celsius so you're like oh it's off by 0.1 it must be something (laughs) different (laughs) i did something (laughs) wrong all right um a solvent one in which acetylsalic cyclic acid is insoluble at both 90 degrees celsius and 15 degrees celsius celsius Um, solvent two in which acetylsalic cyclic acid is highly and equally soluble at all temperatures, solvent three in which both acetylsalic cyclic acid and its common impurities are fairly soluble at 15 degrees Celsius, but insoluble at 90 degrees Celsius, or D, none of the above, recrystallization either would not work or is not necessary for the purification of this sample. Ooh. Okay. So it's, it's interesting. So I, I started reading answer choice A and by the time I was done reading it, I'm like, I have no idea what this question uh, was asking to begin with. So I would have to go back to the question and, um, uh, just try to what we talked about a lot before, right? Rephrasing the question. We're trying to just make sure we understand what the qu- what the question is asking. So it's it's asking which solvent would be most suitable for recrystallization immediately after its, after its synthesis. Huh. Um, and then we have three solvents and a none of the above. Um, and so... We're given one data point here, which is interesting, that the known melting point for aspirin, I'm going to call it, because I'm tired (laughs) of saying cyclic acid, uh, the known melting point for aspirin is 136 degrees Celsius, and the sample collected has a melting point of 135.9. Let's say, okay, that's close enough. Um, So... Answer choice A is interesting because it says solvent one in which aspirin is insoluble at both 90 degrees Celsius and 15 degrees Celsius. So you're like, well, what do those two temperatures have to do with each other? Um, but we'll put that off for a second. Um, answer choice B, solvent two, in which aspirin is highly and equally soluble at all temperatures. Um, do we know that? Um I don't know because it, uh, I don't know. Um, Solvent 3, aspirin and its common impurities are fairly fairly soluble at 15 degrees Celsius, but insoluble at 90 degrees Celsius. So answer choices A and C are very kind of similar because they both have this 90 degrees Celsius and 15 degrees Celsius. So that's like... Ooh, must be one of those. And one of them is just the opposite. And so they're trying to confuse me. Um, or is it D, none of the above, which I always love to pick. Uh, so <laughs> this one is super hard um, because the 90 and 15 are throwing me off because I don't know where that comes into play. Uh, I've obviously forgotten enough about my lab techniques. Um, the uh, I don't know. so. Answer choice B is weird because it's saying, which one is going to recrystallize aspirin? Uh, but, but answer choice B is saying, well, aspirin is going to be soluble at all temperatures. So that, that kind of doesn't make sense to me. Maybe, again, my brain is just fried and whatever. Um, so I'm between A and C because there's just something about them being similar that um, it, to me it has to be one of those. I'm trying to get in the head of the writer's um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I would go with, uh, a and move on cause I'm done at this point. Totally. And I need, <laughs> I need some S ac- acetyl- salicylic acid to, uh, to right. cure my headache that this question is causing.
1: This one is really rough. So, so actually you are on the right track though. Um, so, so you, you know what recrystallization is cuz you were referring to like um oh it's going to have to recrystallize and so B doesn't really make sense because it, B is a solvent in which it's soluble at all temperatures. Um so that was totally right. I mean that's why B is out. Yeah. So the correct answer though unfortunately is actually D.
0: Haha.
1: <laughs> so it was kind of, tempting. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Um, so let's talk through one and uh, solvent 1 and solvent 3 A and C here.
1: Totally. So so the key to recrystallization is that we need, um, so by crystallize, it means um, turn into a solid, mm-hmm. like a solid um, material, basically. And so to use a recrystallization as a lab procedure, we need the best possible solvent to dissolve our solid in, and then uh, later it's going to recrystallize. And when it recrystallizes, it, it does so typically without all the impurities that it had in it before. hmm um, and f- yeah, and for this to happen, we need a couple different things to be true. So for one, we need our solid to actually dissolve in it. <laughs> so if we put our aspirin in our solvent and it never dissolves in the first place, then it can't recrystallize either. So that's actually why a is mm. wrong. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's insoluble. You could just even just think of that as like generic high temperature and generic low temperature, um, instead of the 90 and the 15, if that is getting confusing, but yeah, okay. a can't work. And then C um, doesn't have that problem because our aspirin is soluble, but it's soluble at 15 degrees Celsius, but then insoluble at 90. And that's actually the opposite of the trend we typically see. Typically we see, oh, at cold temperatures, it's relatively insoluble, but then we can heat it up and it becomes soluble Mm -hmm. and then we'll cool it back down and it'll drop out of solution as a solid. So C doesn't make any sense with regard to the temperatures. And then the other problem is It says that both aspirin and its common impurities are fairly soluble, and if its impurities dissolve also um, in the same sort of pattern that the aspirin itself dissolves, that's not ideal. The absolute perfect um, recrystallization solvent is one where our desired solid dissolves, but say like the impurities don't, for example, Um, or when we go to recrystallize it later, our desired solid turns back into a solid, but the impurities don't. Mm. So the more our solvent treats our um, aspirin differently from its impurities, the better. So A, B, and C all don't seem right. Okay. And then D D ends up being the one we're left with.
0: All right. I like that one. <laughs> Has a lot, yeah. good, a lot of good take-homes in that one question. It's a fun one. <laughs> None. Uh, it, the, the least of which was not that Ryan forgot all of his lab technique. <laughs> all right. Oh,
1: just one. Question Let's two. See. All right. Uh, The next one is number 22. So vacuum distillation should be used to separate which of the following pairs of compounds. A, lauric acid, boiling point equals 299 degrees Celsius, and propylene carbonate, boiling point equals 240 degrees Celsius. Then B is acetone, BP equals 56 degrees Celsius, and ethyl acetate, BP equals 77 degrees Celsius. C. Acetone, BP equals 56 degrees Celsius, and formic acid, BP equals 101 degrees Celsius. And then finally, answer choice D. Formic acid, BP equals 101 degrees Celsius, and water. Hmm.
0: So. Hmm. I'm trying to see if there's any huge like giveaways in the in these boiling points. Uh, because to me having forgotten what again what vacuum distillation is, uh if I'm a pre premed student who forgot to study that one part and for didn't learn it in lab, this just, just went through the uh the process. Um I I try to figure out what I'm seeing here. And I'm not seeing any specific patterns. Um, I'm only seeing high temperatures or high boiling points and lower boiling points. Right. And there's nothing like really close together other than the last one. Um, the boiling point of water I'm assuming is hundred degrees Celsius. Uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I remember that thing. Um, Thank you, metric system and and uh Celsius uh temperature. Um and so D is interesting because it stands apart because formic acid with the boiling point of 101 and water at a hundred are so similar that there's something about it that's like, well, that that to me stands apart than any other one. And there's really nothing else that that i can see just if i were to to try to make a guess um because 299 and 240 like okay it's off by 59 but the other one is off by 21 and another one off by 45 um so i don't think those are different enough numbers to stand out to me but 1 degree off that stands out so i would go with d and move on not knowing kind of the exact experiment, uh, and not trying to dig into, okay, one's an acid because it's formic acid <laughs> versus loric acid. Does that make a difference? Um, <laughs> so I would go with D and move on.
1: Yeah. So, so it's not D. All right. Uh, but that was actually, I mean, a lot of what you did there was great though, right? Cause we're looking for some sort of pattern in these boiling points. Mm-hmm. We know we probably don't need to worry about like the identities of the compounds. Like who cares um, what lauric acid actually is? Mm-hmm. Um, but actually what the right approach was what you said the very first thing, when you mentioned um, oh, some of these boiling points are really high and some of them aren't. Um vacuum distillation actually, the purpose of it is to separate compounds that have very, very high boiling points and the idea is that if you have a compound so like a for example says lauric acid boiling point is 299 um we can never really get a distillation flask up to 299 degrees celsius in the lab um, without it just taking forever being some sort of like (laughs) you know explosion or something um
0: living dangerously come on
1: it's like 300 degrees A little extreme. Um, So basically what we do is we use this technique called vacuum distillation, which is where we lower the pressure of the apparatus. Mm,
0: Which lowers the boiling point.
1: Totally lowers the boiling point. That's exactly right. So, yeah. So whenever you are asked about vacuum distillation, you always want to just pick the answer with the highest boiling points.
0: Okay. So it's nothing about... The the difference between the two boiling points is just they're really high and we need that technique to lower the boiling point.
1: Yeah, although the difference is um, you would have been totally on the right track if they asked about fractional distillation. Okay. So fractional distillation is used to separate compounds with really similar boiling points. So something like D. D is still really close together and would be really, really hard to do, but D would be the right answer for fractional.
0: Okay. See, another extra little takeaway there. I like being wrong. Okay. Uh, Question 24. A separatory flask contains two layers, water and diethyl ether. Aniline, benzoic acid, and phenol are dissolved in the ether layer. To isolate the benzoic acid, a student should add A, a concentrated solution of KOH, B, a concentrated solution of HCl. C, a dilute, a dilute solution of ammonia dropped into the flask slowly. Or D, and, uh, additional water and diethyl ether. Oh, interesting. So I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, so we have two layers. Three things are added to the uh, ether layer. And then how do we get the benzoic acid to isolate out? Wow. Yeah, I'm going to let you just kind of walk through that because none of them look good. So in the typical test prep world, I would choose C and move on. C is (laughs) right. See, (laughs) that's always the, the way to go. All right. Yeah,
1: a good approach. Um, But yeah, so this is about an extraction. And extractions are really confusing uh, to a lot of students. So let's see what we can figure out. Um, Okay, so basically what we're doing in extractions for the MCAT is we always either want to separate out some sort of acid or we want to separate out some sort of base. Uh, There are other types of extractions, but the MCAT doesn't ask about them so we just need to figure out okay are we dealing with an acid or a base and in this question they said to isolate the benzoic acid so we're dealing with an acid and then the next thing that you just need to know is that um, if you want to separate out an acid that's just so all of these things are currently like floating around in the same layer Um, the easiest way to separate out an acid is to deprotonate it Uh, and this is actually just sort of true across the board like things will tend to be really soluble in water if you make them charged. And right now our aniline, our benzoic acid, and our phenol are all in the other layer. Like they're not in the water layer. So if we want to move one into the water layer, get it all separated by itself, we need to make it charged. So with whenever you're dealing with any sort of extraction, you always want to take if you have an acid, you want to deprotonate it because that'll make it charged and that'll make it go into the water layer. So in that case, we need to add a base. So we want to separate out an acid, so we need to add a base. And then only A and C are talking about bases. So A was a concentrated solution of KOH. And then C was a dilute solution of ammonia. And now to decide between the two, we need to look at what else we have in our ether layer. Uh, And so we have aniline and we also have phenol. And the the interesting thing here is that phenol is actually an acid, just like benzoic acid. Uh, It's weaker, but it is still an acid. So we don't want to add a super, super concentrated base because our super concentrated base will actually separate out both of our acids. And then we won't have benzoic acid by itself. We'll have benzoic acid and phenol. So instead, we want to add a really weak acid, like this dilute solution of ammonia. And then we can just separate out the first acid that essentially will go into that water layer, which will be our benzoic acid.
0: Do you think ammonia's feelings are ever hurt because it's known as the weak acid?
1: <laughs> it might be.
0: Poor the, ammonia.
1: The, the vast majority of acids are weak though, so.
0: All right. So, that helps. so he's in good company. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is an interesting one because you have to not only know kind of the this extraction technique, but also phenol, you have to remember, is a uh, an acid as well. And so there are a couple key pieces of information that if you're maybe you know one but forgot the other you may jump at that first uh answer choice a you're like oh yeah i know to get it out you need a base and so you just go with a um and then you're you get the wrong answer so this is uh this is one that i I typically don't remember seeing a lot on the mcat where there's multiple pieces of information that you need to know to get the answer right what are your thoughts on that
1: Totally. Um, yeah. So there, I would say, I mean, I would say there are some, so there definitely are um, plenty of MCAT questions where you need multiple pieces of information and you need to integrate them. Uh, most often there will be some sort of way you can reason around it. Like, right. Like let's say a, a question requires like three pieces of information. Uh, you can typically get it right. If you know, like two of those pieces, and then you also use some sort of scientific common sense Um, In this case, let's say we didn't really know what phenol was and we weren't really thinking about it. Um, We can still say, okay, common sense, A seems pretty extreme. Like A is a concentrated solution of KOH and KOH is a strong base. So A is like very, very strong, a lot of base. And that's, that's pretty harsh, it's pretty extreme. Whereas C is sort of the opposite, this dilute solution, dropping it in slowly. And uh, on the MCAT, it's typically best if you're just guessing to go with less extreme answers. So that could help if you forgot that okay. second part. Yeah,
0: and that's always seems to be a a good a good um, reminder that the extreme answers are typically not the right ones. Totally. All right, so there you have it. Some more high yield stuff lab technique something you wouldn't think about for the MCAT but is very important so hopefully you got to get some good tips some high yield stuff today that will hopefully get you a point or two on the MCAT if you are looking for some more high yield stuff some more information about how to crush the MCAT go to nextsteptestprep.com use the promo code MCAT pod save some money on your test prep purposes, whether that's full-length exams, the MCAT course, which I recommend from Next Step Test Prep, or one-on-one tutoring. If you want some more information on the Next Step Test Prep course, the MCAT course, go to mcatcoursereview.com, where I have a YouTube video breaking down the course and much more. The course is actually being redone as we speak, so it's only getting better. All right, I hope you have a great week. Don't forget, next week we have some more high-yield stuff, physics, next time. i will see you next time here on the MCAP Podcast. This is MedEd Media.